Welcome to episode 128 of the Animal Addicts podcast. On today's episode, Casey brings up some bad news regarding platypuses in Australia, and I highlight our final dog breed. We learn about some superb picks this week, and about our somewhat odd-looking animal of the week. So without further ado, let's get to it. Episode 128 of the Animal Addicts Podcast starts right now. To episode 128 of the Animal Addicts podcast. It's the penultimate. Oh, yeah, it is. Penultimate. <gasps> Anyways, I know that sorry. word. I got distracted. I'm so sorry. Um, as always, we're your host, Allie. And Casey. And today we're going to talk about a whole new assortment of super cool animals. But before we get into it, uh, Casey, what what have you been up to since last I saw so you? So I just found some time for reading. Okay. Because like, I'm trying to like... 30, at least 30 minutes before I go to bed, it's read. That's a good choice. Yeah. I have a problem like with that. Hour. I feel like if you're doing nonfiction, that'd be easier. Yeah. But when you're doing fiction, then I get sucked into it, and then it can be a problem. No, I do that with nonfiction, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I got this book recently about alligators. Okay. And so I've only gotten, like, some of the basic stuff, like the background of the author and what got him hooked onto alligators and, like... Now it went into uh, also the details of their distribution in the United States. Okay. But yeah, that's what I've been reading, even though I have a shit ton of books that I need to read. All of these books that you keep buying? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe start getting through those. Yeah, I should. I have a problem. <laughs> it's okay. I yeah. have another problem, so <laughs> we all have our problems. Yeah. Another thing I've been doing is I got onto the Zooniverse website to do some citizen science projects. Okay. Is that the one that hosts, like, um, Wild Watch? Kenya yes. and all those? Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. So, one that I've been doing for a long, several years, is the Floating Forest, which is where um, it's done by NASA, actually, because they have these satellites that take images over the planet, and the artificial intelligence ain't very smart, so, like, they need people to help program it to locate... It's like identify. kelp forests and yeah. stuff, right? Okay, yeah. yeah, to find the green in the images on the satellite pictures that are kelp forests and not like algae and stuff. Okay. So that one I've been doing. And also like it, you can go and like see um, your stats for like all this, like how many images you've gone through. And for that one, it's the most by far because there's 726. That you've done? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Oh, will it tell you that? So if I go yeah, back if you there, go I can see to, how many wild Yeah, if I've you done? go to, like, if you have an account, then you can go to your profile say how many you've done. I mean, I'm assuming you have to have an account. I think yeah. I had to sign up for one. Mm -hmm. So I could go see how many yeah. Wild Watch Kenyans I did. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. exciting. Then, it's not 700. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then the other two I've done, which I've just done, started doing recently, is um, one's called Iberian Camera Trap Project, which is like Wild Watch Camera um, Kenya. Okay. Except it's about uh, in the Iberian Peninsula, and um, it's basically helping to program the artificial intelligence to identify species. Okay. Um, it's it's just focused on mammals. Um, there's a lot of deer, but there's two deer species. Okay. There's fallow deer, and then there's red deer. Okay. I see red deer much more often. Okay. Um, and then there's also an option for just cervids, which is the family for deers, and it's like when you can't identify them. Sure. Um, 
So yeah, that I've got done 197 classifications. Oh my goodness. There was also a lot of no, <laughs> nothing. Nothing in the picture? Yep. Yeah, I get a lot of those when I watch Kenya. And yeah. a lot of like cattle and goats and stuff. But the very first animals I ever saw was a fox. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And the other one I've done, which I also like because I'm a nerd, is Notes from Nature, Big B Bonanza. Um, so this one, it's more technical because how it is, it's basically the f look at bee diversity and how they're doing it is like some of the ways like you can specify um, bee species is like very technical for this one what they're looking is distance between the tegula and the tegula is the joint on the bee where the wing connects to the thorax okay so you measure distance between the tegula and between either side yeah okay yeah from one to the other i love that looked like the airplane like yeah <laughs> directions and so in order to do that first you have to because it's a computer and so you can't really measure it properly you have to program it and there's a little ruler on top so you have to take, um, you have to go basically and that there's going to be a little black bar and then a white bar and you measure across to basically set your measurement as your scale. And it's going to be 0.5 centimeters. Oh, okay. and so that's the first thing you have to do. Then you have to actually um, make a line from the that measures that goes from one tegula to the other. This is too much. <laughs> the other ones are great. This is too much. It's, it sounds more technical and it's slower, but yeah. Not, not that bad. I've done 16. Makes sense. Yeah. And sometimes, like, bad, me I have to write notes, like, bad measurement, it, like, sometimes the pin on the B covers the tegula. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like it because I like bees, so. <laughs> it's still crazy. But it, it is a more technical one. It's still crazy, dude. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah. well, that's cool. Um, So, I went to the animal park. Mm-hmm. Um, in my boot, of course, still, because I obviously won't be done wearing the boot out before we end this podcast. Um, and it, it's just not great in the boot. <laughs> it's not fantastic. But so I went there mostly. I tried to get there in time to go see the new show. And um, if you've seen the one at the zoo, you don't need to see this one. It's basically the same show, but not as good. And it's also oh, like in the big stadium. one. Yeah. In the oh. That used to be the bird show. It's basically still a bird show. They had two animals that were not birds. <laughs> one was a desert tortoise, and one was a, I think a tamandua, whatever those guys are called. Yeah, a little anteater. Yeah, yeah, I think it was him and a tortoise, and I think those were literally the only things that were not birds. Everything else was a bird. I'm like, well, and then the bird show used to be more fun, I think. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not feeling this. And I don't know if it was I... just like the host or the trainer that day just wasn't as like chipper and like mm -hmm. as good at presenting. So I was just like, I'm just not really feeling this and then there was this woman too like i got there early and we got our seats and they had a bunch of reserve seats some of them were marked ada and then some were just had reserve things on it and like it's like a few minutes before the show's gonna start and this woman with an accent that's like russian-ish um and her child come and sit in the front where it's reserved and then some lady comes over and tells her, like, this is for ADA. You can't sit. She's like, you want these empty instead of that? I'm like, first of all, bitch. Number one, I'm pretty sure legally they have to have a certain amount of ADA seats per seats in a, mm -hmm. in a um, not auditorium, but uh, amphitheater, essentially. So for all I know, like, legally they have to have those. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, I don't know if the ones on the one side count as enough. And then also, you get to sit up front when everyone else who got here early mm -hmm. doesn't get as good a seat? No, girl. Move on. And then where she had to sit was, like, three rows back. I'm like, stop whining. Mm -hmm. Anyway, couldn't, I just can't stand people. 
anyway so yeah that was that and um and the show was just you know meh and then also more annoying of people so that stadium I don't remember I guess I usually sat on the front before or close to it or I just didn't care because it wasn't in a boot but it's like very close together Mm -hmm. so when you're sitting your feet can't really be out they have to kind of be a little bit tucked back so then I'm trying to get out at the end and the people on both ends aren't moving and I'm like, look, normally climbing down this bleacher thing, not an issue. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I'm now having to climb on a fucking bleacher in my boot because you're just going to sit there on the... I'm like, I'm sorry, if you're on the end, you don't get to sit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not how that works. And there's no room to walk around you. So I'm like, oh my God. Anyway, people are just so annoying. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that was that. And then I hobbled my way down to the um, tram. <laughs> and I saw three of the lionesses. But the boy wasn't out. His name is Bo, you're right. But anyway, um, but he wasn't out. And then I did the tram and they did not even reference the baby giraffe and I didn't see him. So I don't know if they had to take him off or if he was tucked against the wall, but mm-hmm. the guy didn't even say anything. I'm like, and I feel like I see the whole tower. So I'm very confused. I'm like, I yeah. see no giraffe. This is lies. Anyway, um, it also just seemed very empty. <laughs> Like, in the, like, main exhibit. It was just, mm-hmm. like, uh, they must have all been in corners somewhere, but they weren't feeling it that day, that's for sure. But then, and then I was, like, I really don't want to have to hobble back to the elevator and hobble all the way back in the boot. It's just very annoying. So, I was, like, I'm going to go see where the ADA bus goes. <laughs> so, the ADA bus only has two stops. It's up at the top by if you're if you're going to go out on the caravan where you meet to do that. And then, um, which is kind of behind the bathrooms, behind the restaurant. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, I also saw a thing. They put the binturongs now where the quaddy used to be over there. Really? Yes. I just saw a thing from the animal park. So I'm like, well, now I have to go back and see binturongs up close. Hopefully they'll be where you can see them. Probably not. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> but it's so the ADA thing is over there. And then down below, it's over where you check in for like the cart safaris and stuff like that. So anyway, so I like walked over that way. And then I just did it. And literally, I was the only one on it. I'm like, I mean, I kind of feel bad, but also I don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, I literally do need it. And also, like, what else are they doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the only one using it. But it was cool because you can't really see the elephants. That's way too much, too difficult for me right now to have to walk all the way over there through the thing and all that. So, but I can actually see the elephants because they go up where the mm-hmm. main thing was. And you get like some back air stage area kind of, obviously. And it was just so much better. So now if I go, I'm taking the ADA bus down and up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then to finish out, I went over and I'm like, I'm going to go try to see these bad-eared fox kits. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. They are so cute holy capoodles i don't know i just they're the cutest things i i can't i was just i was so i love them i took video of them they're so cute anyway that was my experience at the animal park so not not fun with the boot mm-hmm. is the main thing but those but those bad-eared foxes are really close at the front yeah. <laughs> so you can go i'll go just to see them <laughs> that's one of the animals i wish i got a chance to work with but ours passed away oh they're just so stinking cute mm-hmm. were they the same ones that were in with the warthogs before or was yeah. it a different fox okay that Those makes sense because it looked like them because i remember that before because when she I, one of the moms had kits and then the little warthog they had they both had babies at the same time and then the little warthog piglet was running over there and she like hissed at it <laughs> she was like get away anyway it was the thing yeah. but yeah there we go so if you are in san diego and can go to the animal park go check out the baby fox kits because they're just yeah. ridiculously cute fun fact a battered fox is also another part of the voice of baby yoda really yes whose fox is that that was ours acacia oh okay 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 yeah they're all your animals. Yes, and both animals were ours. Who is the baby that they're getting it from? I don't know and what is the baby the is. Baby getting residuals. <laughs> anyway, if the baby gets residuals, well, maybe it's a human. I feel yeah. like they should. 
I don't know what child labor laws are. I don't know. I feel like you have to. Anyway, so there we go. All right. Well, let's get into what we want to talk about today. And Casey, what did you want to talk about? Platypuses. Woohoo! At risk of extinction. Oh, no. (laughs) Boo. Yeah. So there was a research done recently, a study done recently. Um, It was led by University of New South Wales, Sydney Center for Ecosystem Science. And they were examining um, the populations. And what they were determining is that there needs to be a national risk assessment for platypus because they have um, found that they're being severely impeded by the droughts and climate change that are going on. I guess that makes sense because they're Mm -hmm. like little swampy guys. So if the water is not, if it's drying up, Mm -hmm. then they have less habitat. Yeah. And because they're nocturnal and very reclusive, their distribution's not very well known. But um, in this this article, it states, due to current climate conditions, land clearing, and fragmentation by dams, the number of platypuses in the world have decreased by about half, which has led to the extinction of local populations across about 40% of the species range. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Do they say how recent that is? Like, from when to now? Not in this article. Okay. I would assume in the study it does. Um and the expected losses are expected to even be even greater because of extreme droughts like the one that has been plaguing Australia. And apparently, it's been going on for like three years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, it's like, I feel like Australia and us have a lot in common. Yeah. I feel like we do. <laughs> yeah. And um, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, or IUCN, um, recently downgraded the platypus conservation status to near-threatened. Um, but the study's lead author, Dr. Gilad Bino um, said the action must be taken to prevent extinction because um, we have also been seeing lots of dangers with um, species that were considered safe, such as the koalas that were recently known as a species of least concern, and now that they are being upgraded in a lot of regions as endangered. Is that mostly because of bushfires? Bushfires and drought, as well as um, loss of habitat. Okay. Which is a lot of the same risk that these guys are facing. Right. Um, and in these guys, they're only considered endangered in South Australia. So it's kind of similar situation. So basically what they're saying is they need it. Action must be taken in order to prevent the same situation happening to the platypus. Because it needs to be proactive and not waiting for um, species to become endangered in the first place and be in a worse situation. That makes sense. Yep. So I don't remember with platypus. Are they only in South Australia, or they're just saying the South uh, Southern Australia South Australia is the only. Um, I think they're called provinces in Australia. Yeah, they have like four. Yeah. Whatever. So <laughs> they're found in the other ones, but okay. in South Australia, it's the only one where they're classified as endangered. Gotcha. Okay, so they're doing okay in the other. Mm-hmm. We're gonna say provinces because I feel like that's probably yeah. what it is. Okay. According to their assessments. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, I done goofed, Casey. You and, done goofed. And he let me done goof. He yeah, didn't did. catch my goof. Usually, I do a dog breed on our third episode of the month. But I, like I said, I done goofed. I think it threw me because we did five episodes. Yeah. Or we have five episodes. I don't know. It shouldn't have thrown me. But anyway. All right. So, long story short. Um, we sort of, we narrowed down, it's our final doggy, so we narrowed down our choices, and then we let a dice decide, as you do, mm-hmm. who our final doggy will be. And our final dog is the Glenavamal Terrier. 
They say they are spirited, gentle, and bold. And what group do you think that is in, Casey? The Terrier? Yeah, good job. <laughs> All right. Mm. And where do you think they rank out of 280 in popularity? 146. Pretty close, 169. All right. So the history of these guys... So, Glens are tough terriers from tough country, the remote and rocky Glen of Amal in mountainous county Wicklow. Old-time farmers worked hard to scratch a living from the desolate landscape, and their dogs were expected to work just as hard. Glens were developed as badger hunters, but they also did various odd jobs around the farm. Glens carried the nickname Turnspit Dog because, according to some, they were used in kitchens to run in a hamster wheel contraption that turned meat over an open fire. <laughs> it's my, I think that's my favorite history of any of our dogs. It's a shame that they don't have an image. <laughs> it's, I wish. I just imagine just one of those cat ones, you know, uh-huh. the little exercise things. Anyway, I wish there was. I'm gonna have to search the internet and see if I can find one. Anyway, so the Glen's highly individualized bowed front legs, well-padded loin, and powerful hindquarters were ideally suited for this. So weird. For several hundred years, these hardy dogs performed their chores in this remote corner of Ireland, unnoticed by all except those who treasured them. There are sporadic reports of Glen's emigrating to America with with their owners as early as 1930. However, the breed did not gain a foothold in America until the 1980s, wow, when several dedicated breeders and fanciers imported foundation stock from Ireland and the United Kingdom. In 1986, these same pioneers founded the Glen of Amal Terrier Club of America. I did not realize that this was an Irish dog, and I'm so happy that we're ending on an Irish dog because that's my heritage. <laughs> anyway. I'm part Irish, too. There you go. I feel like almost everyone's part Irish. Yeah. All right. So, uh, they're a height. They are 12.5 to 14 inches at the shoulder. They weigh 32 to 40 pounds, and their life expectancy is 10 to 15 years. Gentler, less excitable than most terriers, but still bold and spirited, the double-coated Glen of a Mall Terrier is named for one of Ireland's most remote, lo- most remote locales. The brave but docile Glen is a strong, no-fuss dog built for hard work. Glens are scruffy, sturdy, low-slung terriers, standing no more than 14 inches at the shoulder. There's nothing fancy or fussed over about Glens. Rather, their wiry, no-frills coat, broad head, and bowed front legs suggest a working farm dog from a time and place where substance was more important than style. And yet, they're also ridiculously cute. I think they're pretty cute. Um, It takes a heart of stone to resist reaching down to give a Glen a scratch behind the ear or a pat on the well-muscled rump. (laughs) Who wrote this? I love it. Anyway, so they're just, uh, they're pretty great. Oh, no, I did not mean to click on that. Okay, anyway, um, let's get to, well, let's do health first, I suppose. All right, so Glen of Mall Terriers are generally healthy dogs, but there are several health, genetic, health and genetic screening considerations specific to the breed. These include hip dysplasia and eye disease, such as cone rod dystrophy. Responsible breeders were screened. Obviously, they always screen them, yada, 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 yada. Um, caution should be taken to avoid unnecessary stress on the front legs during their first nine months of life. As with all breeds, the Glen's ears should be checked regularly for signs of infection, and the teeth should be brushed often using a toothpaste designed for dogs. So the recommended health tests for these guys are hip evaluation, elbow evaluation, progressive retinal atrophy, cone rod dystrophy 3, <laughs> PRA-CRD3, 
and a DNA test. <laughs> All of that's a DNA test. Mm-hmm. And an ophthalmologist evaluation. Evaluation, sorry. So with grooming for these little ones, um, they have a weather-resistant double coat consisting of a rough outer coat and a soft undercoat, which requires moderate brushing weekly to prevent matting of the fur- of the furnishings. Okay, the soft hair around the ears, neck, leg, and belly, legs and belly, and should also be stripped two or three times a year. They shed very little as a result of this effort. It does not take a great amount of time, and the bonding you achieve with your pup is well worth the time involved. Since Glens are a dwarf breed, a small but sturdy grooming table is a very good investment. It will make the process much easier on both of you. The nails should be trimmed regularly, and the ears checked weekly for debris and excess wax buildup, as per usual. All right, exercise. So a little more laid back than a typical terrier, Glens require moderate exercise to stay healthy and happy. As a dwarf breed with slightly curved front legs, Glens should not be rushed into strenuous exercise, such as long walks on a leash. It's good to start leash training, but keep the walk short and fun. A small handful of the pup's regular kibble can be used to reward him for staying close while on a leash. Let him run around the house or a fenced yard, perhaps chasing a toy or a ball. A ball is a toy. Okay, whatever. (laughs) He will flop down for a rest when he has had enough. Owners should prevent puppies from jumping off couches, going down steep stairs, or engaging in anything that might put undue stress on their growing front legs and joints. Pups need time for the growth plates in their legs to close before they do any jumping or start climbing or descending stairs. Going downstairs is more stressful on the front legs than going up. Some breeders have pups avoid stairs and jumping as much as possible until they are at least nine months of age, as the growth plates will close sometime between nine and 12 months. This is a normal part of the developmental process, but especially important in dwarf breeds whose legs are short in relation to their body weight. I don't think we've talked about a dwarf breed. It's my first time hearing about a dwarf breed. All right. Training. Glens are versatile, trainable, and very smart. They love people, but normally won't get chummy with other dogs. Mm. They are quieter and less spiky, sure, (laughs) than other terriers, but still, they're terriers. Brave, sometimes stubborn, and keenly interested in the doings of small furry critters, their natural prey. Like most terriers, they have a great deal of character and learn quickly, which can make training a joy, although they may get bored with repetition. Positive reinforcement, obviously. Keep training sessions short. Five minutes of training two or three times a day is much better than one 30-minute session and early socialization, obviously, for all dogs. So anyway, they are pretty cute. Um, he has a cute little face. He does have short little legs. It's like an old man face. He does. It's a little old man face, basically. I guess, yeah, we haven't done anyone with little short legs. No. So I guess is a, like, a corgi considered a, a dwarf breed? No, remember they're a... <laughs> what? No, they're like a big dog with little legs. They are. But anyway, I don't know. I feel like maybe a basset hound. They have kind of bowed legs, too. Yeah. I don't know that I want a dog that has that much effort. (laughs) That they can't do much of anything when they're puppies. I'm like, can you not, By the way, while you were talking, I decided to just look on AKC's because I wanted to see. Yeah. It's stupid, but I wanted to see if I could notice the dip in the lab's popularity because they were just dethroned yeah they were and it's like nope it still looks like a flat line <laughs> <laughs> no it's just that the the little frenchies just c- took over everything yeah and anyway. just, it needs to stop it does because they're cute but they shouldn't exist mm-hmm. oh god that reminds me it's super random also i find it funny how some breeds have so many colors 
compared to others. That's true, yeah. Like, labs have three, but AM staffs have, like, a dozen. A million. Yeah. yeah. There's some interesting ones. Yeah. Apparently, that's one of my favorites in my favorites tab. Apparently, you love AM staffs. I do. Anyway, I forgot. I played um, a one-shot the other day because we couldn't get our whole D&D party together for one of my D&D nights. So, we played Library Cats. So, you're cats, obviously. But it's in a magical world. So, anyway... Um, so it's a little one sheet, one shot thing, but they're cool little things to do anyway. It's something you could play too, because it's not mm-hmm. that complicated. Anyway, um, and t- the breeds, no, because like D&D has a lot of, it's yeah. like kind of complicated to explain to someone, but like these little, you use a six sided dice the entire time. So it's just easier. Okay. Anyway, but um, I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm just saying D&D is a little complicated to start. Anyway, but, um, but the breeds they give you. Only like two of them were ethical, <laughs> so it was like a me savannah, not, ca- a savannah cat. Nope, a Siamese. Okay, ish. Um, I think Persian. Again, nope. Smashed face, not good. Um, a who did I choose? I chose a tabby because I was like, it's one of the only ethical breeds on there. Mm-hmm. A Munchkin, completely unethical. It was just mostly unethical cats. I was like, why are all the cats they chose <laughs> like the worst ones? I have to tell a story real quick. Um, what? Apparently, we had this one last-minute tour booked, and um, it was funny because, like, um, first, because we're not really a zoo, we're an education facility yeah. uh, that's not open to the public. It's like, uh, they were, and they start, this person in the tour start off, and it's like, it's glad we found you because we don't support zoos. We don't like But um, this lady apparently had an F1 Savannah. Wasn't F one? That's the generation. That means it's one generation away from Out the circle. Of the, yeah, that makes it so unethical. So she doesn't like zoos, but she's fine with that. Yeah, that's hor- like a lot of times they die mm-hmm. when they give birth. It's ridiculous. Anyway, mm-hmm. I pulled it up real fast, and it's Persian, Siamese, Scottish Fold, Savannah, Munchkin, and Tabby. Hmm. Also, I feel like Tabby's not a breed. That's a color. No, it's so a then color. you could just be like Calico, and I'm like, you could put Abyssinian in there. Like there are other cool cats. Like a Ragdoll, please. I love them. They're the best cats. Anyway. So, that made me mad. So, there you go. <laughs> Anywho. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to our picks for this week. And it was my turn to choose. And as we are in wild card and it is the penultimate, again, <laughs> episode of the podcast, we're just going crazy. So, I just made the category wild card any bird we haven't discussed. And then I had trouble choosing. But anyway, Casey, who did you choose? I went with the superb liar bird. All right, tell us about them. I don't think I know them. So their scientific name is Manura Nova Hollandiae. Okay. Manura Nova Hollandiae. Okay, okay. I accept it. The species is endemic to Australia, and they are an ancient Australian species with some fossil liar birds dating back to 15 million years ago. The bird was introduced to southern South Tasmania between 1934 and 1954. This species likes to live in a couple different habitats like subtropical and temperate rainforest, as well as wet sorry, as well as dry sclerophyll forests, but they prefer to live in wet rainforest mainly. They can live up to 20 years. This species can range in size from 80 to 100 centimeters, including its tail. That's pretty oh, but well, the tail's really long. Yeah. Um, 100 is about 39 inches. That's not that big with the tail, because I think they have mm-hmm. a really big tail, right? Yep. Okay. That's still a pretty good size bird, though. Mm-hmm. Both males and females have a similar brown color on the upper part of its body and a lighter brown and red throat markings. 
but the males do have significantly longer tails that forms the shape of a lyre, which is how the species got its common name. Okay. I'd have to go look at a picture while you continue talking about them. <laughs> the lyrebird is a, primarily feeds on invertebrates and preys on things like insects, spiders, worms, and even frogs, but they will also eat, occasionally eat some plants like seeds. Oh, I think I have seen these before. Okay, sorry. <laughs> continue. <laughs> they forage along the forest floor by using their long claws to scratch underneath the leaf litter. Um, this species of bird is capable of flying, but will usually only do so in the in the event of immediate dangers. Um, they are a ground-dwelling species that spends most of their lives alone and won't venture very far, and usually spend most of their lives within the same area around 10 square kilometers. Hmm, okay. One time these birds... Uh, one time these birds will get together is during the breeding season when males will put on quite a show. They will build one or two small mounds of dirt to form a podium. <laughs> oh my god, it's my favorite. <laughs> Alright. And he will raise his tail over his head and sing an intricate song while dancing to impress the female. On top of the podium? Yep. Okay, great. A male will typically mate with multiple females and the female is the one solely responsible for raising the offspring. Of course. The most interesting thing about these birds' mating behavior has to deal with the male's song. Because these songs are made up of noises that the lyrebirds hear, and they are superb mimics, and about 80% of the song is made of mimicked sounds. Okay. And these birds have been known to mimic many native local birds, as well as dog barks, <laughs> and have even been known to mimic human-made sounds like chainsaws and car engines. Oh my goodness. I forgot. Sorry, where are these guys from? Australia. Okay, Australia. Cool. Yep. The superb lyrebird is currently listed as least concerned by the IUCN Red List. Um, the superb lyrebird was almost driven to extinction due to habitat loss and hunting for its tail feathers, but protection methods have helped to stabilize its population, but it still is under threat from feral cats and foxes as well as urban development, and there are videos of these guys making some of their weirder sounds. I obviously will have to look that up. And they are very entertaining. Okay, great. Yep. So that is the superb lyrebird. I... As per you, struggled. And especially at the end of these episodes, I panic more because usually it's like, oh, well, we can do it next season or we can do it mm -hmm. late or at least we can like, oh, we can do it in the wild card month. But I'm like, this is the last ever. So it's so stressful because there's a, quite a few birds I still want to do. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to choose them. We haven't done anything like it yet. At least not its exact type. So I chose the, I don't know if it's pronounced Natal's woodpecker or Nuttall's woodpecker. I'm going with Natal's because that's a little fancier. So I chose the Natal's woodpecker. Their scientific name is Dryobates natali. I almost said Natalia. Natali, I think. This species of woodpecker is native to California, ranging from Northern California down to the Northwest region of Baja California, Mexico. With this species limited range, it can be found living where there are forests full of oak trees, but they are also sometimes found in wooded suburban areas. This is a relatively small species of woodpecker, only 16 to 18 centimeters long. Oh, you're really little. Mm -hmm. uh, TBH, I was trying to pick the woodpecker that I've seen <laughs> out in my yard. <laughs> that looks a little bit small, so I don't know if that's it. It was between this one and one other one, but anyway. Um, all right, and they weigh 30 to 45 grams. This species may live in oak woodlands, but it does not spend its time eating acorns, but instead they are insectivores that feed on a large variety of invertebrates, including beetles, beetle larvae, ants, termites, and millipedes. 
Um, okay. They hunt for these tiny critters by using their beaks to probe into the bark of the tree to uncover the insects. They are primarily insectivores, but have been known to occasionally eat fruit, including elderberries, poison oak, and blackberries. That's crazy. They don't get hurt by the poison oak. That's nuts. This species got its name because it was named after the naturalist Thomas Natal in 1843. Many woodpeckers may look similar, but this species can be distinguished by other spe- from other species because it has a white barring pattern on a black back. They are sexually dimorphic, with males having a black and white streaked forehead and red patch that covers the rear of its head, while the female's head is black. These birds will form monogamous pairs that maintain a territory year-round, but they only interact with one another during the breeding season. Both parents help raise the offspring. Males will use their beak to chip away at the trunks and limbs of trees to form a cavity, and the cavity gets layers with wood chips to cushion the eggs. Oh, that's cute. One interesting thing about this species is that the males and females tend to forage in different ways on the trees. Males will usually focus on probing on the trunk and major limbs of the tree. Females, on the other hand, usually forage on minor branches and twigs. Interesting. I guess I've seen a male. Also, he had red, so it had to be a male. (laughs) Like other woodpeckers, the Natal's woodpecker will cling vertically on trees and will hitch up and down as they... That's what we call this? Okay. That's what it said. It said hitching. Great. (laughs) I guess you hitch a ride, so... All right, anyway, sorry. And they will hitch up and down as they forage for food, as well as perch sideways on the smaller branches. The Natal's woodpecker is currently listed as least concerned by the IUCN red list. This species may have a restricted range, but it is still very common, and its population has been increasing by 0.8% every year from 1966 to 2019. And it's estimated that there is a breeding population of 85... Nope. <laughs> I can read numbers. I can read numbers of 850,000. A breeding population of 850,000. There is some concern for the species because it is heavily associated with intact oak and forests. And sudden oak death, which is a fungal disease that kills oak trees, may threaten this species. Oh, too far. This species is also important for its ecosystem because as a cavity nester, it helps build nest sites for other species to use in the forest. So there we go. Those were our wild cards, birds we haven't discussed, the superb lyrebird, and then a tall woodpecker. All right, well, that is going to bring us to our animal of the week. And our animal of the week this week is... The spider-tailed horned viper. Yay. This is very much a Casey chosen animal. And I have to, fun fact, say <laughs> that he chose this for our final animal of the week. I and did. I nixed it. <laughs> I was like, this cannot be our final animal of the week. It's just, you'll, I mean, when you see a picture of it, you'll get why I was like, no, nah, we can't end on that, yo. So anyway. That thing's perfect. <laughs> it's, it's totally a Casey choice. So Casey, <laughs> tell us about them. So these guys are in the order Squamata, and they're in the family Viparidae. And the species' scientific name is Pseudocerastes uracanoides. So much. Yep. The viper is endemic to western Iran and just over the border into Iraq, where it lives in rocky and mountainous areas with deep cracks and holes in the rocks. It is estimated that they can live up to 20 years. They're about 40 to 70 centimeters long. To 70? Oh, they're not that big. Yeah. They're like 27 inches. So it's like a smaller snake. 
especially if it's 40. That's pretty small. Okay, anyway, sorry. Continue. Just like all vipers, these snakes are predators, but unlike other snakes that usually eat rodents, this snake species prefers to hunt birds. The species' generic name, Udocerastes, is the genus of snakes known as the false horned vipers, as opposed to the true horned viper, which is in the genus Cerastes. Oh my goodness. The reason these are false horned vipers is because their horn-like structures located above their eyes are made of several small scales, while in the true horned viper, the horn is made up of a single elongated scale. That's weird. Okay. The other part of its scientific name, Eurasia, Arachnoides. It comes from the Greek word "ura," meaning tail, "arachno," meaning spider, and "ides," meaning similar to. So its scientific name means fake horn with a spider-like tail. <laughs> All right, makes sense. Yep. This is how the species also got its common name, and the reason for this name is because of the shape of the tail, which actually resembles a spider. Kind of. I would say it's actually pretty good. I good. think it doesn't look that much like a spider, but it does I look freaky. It does. It, some fit, some videos and pictures, it looks very convincing. Okay. Near the tip of its tail, there are several long, thin scales that resemble spiderlings, along with a more bulbous growth on the end of its tail makes it resemble a spider. Where the viper lives, the rocks are mainly made of gypsum and limestone, so the snake's body is mottled, beige, and white in color and that helps it blend in with the shimmering rocks where it lives shimmering rocks yeah that's fun <laughs> they also like to live in cracks and crevices of rocks because this these areas help to trap moisture which is one of the only ways to get water in its hot environment like other vipers this the spider-tailed horned viper is venomous and its venom is known as a cytotoxin Cytotoxins are toxins that target and destroy cells in the body. It can, it can actually destroy a wide variety of cell types and has even been shown to have minor neurotoxic effects. Is that like the coral snake who had cytotoxin? Who else had cytotoxin? I, I feel like most of them have not had that. No. And I know the, the coral snake was more recent, so I feel like that was it. Yeah. I know the other coral snake has cytotoxin. There we go. Okay. Well, somebody does. <laughs> <laughs> the venom also has a procoagulant factor that promotes coagulation in the blood. And unlike its close relative, this species has very specialized venom that has a significant effect on birds. Its close relatives do not have this effect and have a much more significant effect on mammals and amphibians. The spider-tailed horned viper venom though has shown to have a significant effect on mammals and amphibians as well as some scientists suspect this um some scientists suspect this effect on mammals and amphibians um could be an indication that the young of this species have a diet more focused on amphibians and mammals but this has not been confirmed hmm, okay now the question it you may be asking is how would this snake that lives on the ground be catching birds I feel like I know the answer to this. <laughs> why their tail is shaped like yep, that. Yep, you're exactly right. So the snake's great camouflage definitely helps it to stay hidden from birds, but there is a question of how to get close enough to them, and that is where the tail comes in, because its tail is what is known as a caudal lure. This is an exceptional form of mimicry in which the tail has evolved to resemble the prey of another organism, in this case a spider, which is a favorite prey item of birds. 
Um, not only does the spider-like appendage make it an excellent lure, but the snake's behavior also improves the lure's ability because this snake will wiggle its tail to resemble a crawling spider. Makes sense. The end of the tail is also not the same color as the rest of the body, so while the snake stays well camouflaged, the lure sticks out easily to lure in, in an unsuspecting bird. One interesting thing is this appears to be mainly effective on only migratory birds, so local bird species may have actually figured out the viper's trick. Hmm. The spider-tailed horned viper is currently listed as near-threatened. It is suspected that illegal collection may be reducing their populations a while, but this doesn't appear to be very common. And there are some local threats to its habitat, but most of its habitat in the Zagros Mountains has little disturbance, but it is frequently killed by villagers when it is encountered. Poor guys. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad looking snake except for its tail. Its yeah, tail is I just like its crazy. Tail. It's cool. I don't like yeah. it at all. But a lot of snakes, um, so there's a lot of dis there's discussion as why it's on the evolution of the tail, but a lot of the snakes will actually wiggle their tails. When well, I know gophers do yeah. too because they want to, you know, mm -hmm. emulate a rattlesnake. Yeah. But other snakes do it because they think it's a distraction to whatever's prey they're close to and they'll be focused on that rather than the snake's mouth coming towards them i feel like unless your tail looks fancy that's mm -hmm. not the case mm -hmm. and then gopher snakes just work when they're in like leaves mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway all right well hey casey yes Allie. why don't snakes drink coffee i don't know because it makes them viper active oh my gosh <laughs> all right that is going to bring us to our penultimate i just like saying it pun not pun i said the pun dang it i missed an alliteration option boom anyway um our penultimate challenge and it was casey's turn to come up with a challenge so is it for both of us or just me it's just you oh good so it'll probably be terrible ah. we'll end on a terrible note all yes. right great so um I, what uh, what's it gonna be i'm calling it three two one okay so there's 10 questions all right but there's two parts to each questions so First part is I will name the animal and okay. then you have to tell me which season it's from. Okay. And then I will give you the question about the animal. If there's a possible of uh, three points per question, but you have to get both parts right for three points. Okay. So is the question, the second question worth two points then? No, it's just one point. I only heard two questions. <laughs> I only two things. You're going to name an animal. I have to say what season it's from. Yeah. And then you're going to ask me a question. Yes. Did I miss a part? I just decided to skip the two. <laughs> okay. Like three T-O. To yeah. Okay, great. Or not, you know, one T-O, three. Okay. I yeah. was very confused. Okay. And yeah. this is just Animals of the Week? Yeah. Okay. I kept okay. it to Animals of the Week. Okay, cool. All right. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Uh, You know, let's just do it. Okay. Let me make sure. Okay. Get going to give you 10 minutes and there's 10 questions. Okay. All right. And, okay. The axolotl. Axolotl. I think it's two. Season two. That is correct. Okay. Axolotls are subject of research for many scientists due to what unique superpower that they have. That they can regenerate, is my guess. That is correct. Perfect. Now, next one is the fairy fly. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, that is season one, because I think it was our last animal. Yes, it was. Okay. I know it's a wild card. What's the question about him? 
the males are the smallest insect in the world. In order to achieve this tiny size, their nerve cells have to eject what out of them to help them stay so small. I literally don't remember that at all. Their nerve cells have to eject... What's in your nerve cells? I have no idea what's in your nerve cells. <laughs> Unless I'm like mitochondria because it's the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say it's not going to be right. Water. <laughs> I have no, that's no idea. not right. Right. <laughs> Obviously not. Continuing okay. on. So next animal is the brown greater galago. Okay. Oh, what season? Yes. Oh, boy. It's not one. It's either two or three. I don't remember where they're from. It's either Asia or Oceana. I think it's two. It was actually three. Dang it. Now the question. The galgos make a soft clicking noise that sounds like a child crying, which has led to them being given what other nickname? I don't remember that being it, but I'm going to say the bush baby. That is correct. Okay. Now, the next animal is the marbled crayfish. Okay. That is season two. That is correct. Okay. All the individuals of this species are female and reproduce exclusively by what process? Parthenogenesis. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I learned it. <laughs> the next animal is the tuatara. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, that is season one. That is correct. Though they superficially resemble a lizard, they are their own unique group. You're going to ask for that fucking name, aren't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay, good. I'm like, I'm not going to. I'm know. not that evil. Okay, good. They have a long incubation period oh, no, that takes that. at least how long? I don't remember that at all. I'll say three months. That is not correct. Okay. Now, the next animal I have for you is the red kangaroo. I believe that's this season. Red kangaroo wasn't an animal of the week, though. That was a pick. Oh, then I lied. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. Um, I, that, I think that's the only one. That was definitely third season. That is correct. And the kangaroo is able to reproduce incredibly fast, in part, that it is able to get pregnant within just days of giving birth. What is this called? Oh, my goodness. That's not the delayed thing, whatever that thing is called. No. Um, I have no idea. It's just super fertile. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> Next animal is the oil bird. Ooh. Where are they from? They're either two or three, but I think they're at the beginning of the season. Oh, no. I'm going to go with three. That is correct. Yay. Now, what unique adaptations for birds allows this bird to find its way around in the dark? I forgot what it is. I know they're nocturnal. <laughs> That's helpful. Um, mm, it's not like echolocation, but I think it's something somewhat similar to that. So I guess I'm just going to say it's not echolocation. But I'm going to say echolocation because I don't remember what it was. It is actually echolocation. Oh, great. Okay. One of the only birds that can do that. There you go. Now, the next animal we have is the gharial. Okay. That is season one. That is correct. I feel like I'm better on the season one animals. <laughs> anyway, we've done so many animals. Yep. <laughs> okay. This species is unique in its clear display of sexual dimorphism with males having a mass on their snout 
to use as a status symbol and to aid with vocalizations. What is this structured call? I have, I, we've said it. I don't remember. I'm saying a rhinophore. That's not right. But <laughs> I'm afraid you remember rhinophore, but no, it is not a rhinophore. You think I even know what a rhinophore is? I just have something to do with the nose. <laughs> anyway. It actually doesn't. No, God, nope. All right, great. Moving on. Uh, so the next animal is the barrel eye. Okay. Uh, I want to say that's two. I think it's two. Season two. That is correct. It okay. was from season two. These fish have a transparent shield covering their eyes. What is the purpose of this barrier? I don't remember. Um, I think they're they're deep sea, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So it pro- I'm just going to say it protects their eyes from deep sea pressure. <laughs> no idea. I don't remember. Not quite. Okay. All right, so the last animal I have for you is the Ardwolf. Oh, no. I really don't remember what season that was. I don't think it's three. I think it's two or one. So I'm going to say two. That is correct. It was season two. It may be a species of hyena, but it differs from its cousin, the spotted hyena, in that it has a very specialized diet consisting of what? I don't remember at all. Okay, well, I don't think they can be mere macophagus because they don't have long little tongues. Um, Hyena's just, like, eat everything. (laughs) Um, He has teeth, so he's not a little herbivore. Not that herbivores don't have teeth, but you know what I mean. Um, I don't... I'll say that he doesn't eat carrion. I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, he doesn't, but (laughs) I'm looking for something specific. Um, I like he doesn't eat. I'll say he he doesn't eat reptiles. I have no idea. <laughs> don't I don't know. So the answer was insects. It was yes. I like in the beginning I thought it was that, but I'm like, but how does he do it? Because he doesn't have like a sticky tongue to do it. No, he sucks, and he has very tiny pig shaped teeth. Man, final party. <laughs> Yes, final party. <laughs> you have a Samsung, don't you? I do. I don't think I have this because I want this music. I feel like that'd be a great alarm. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's get our day going. I use this as my alarm at work. <laughs> All right, awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it just makes me sad because mine's not going to have a timer, oh, so I'm goodness. sad to not have it anymore. Oh. oh, party music's done. All right, let me count these points. Okay, it's not great. You got 16 points. 16 out of... 30. 30. Well, barely better than half. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. First one was Axlaw. You got that both right. It was from season two, and they can regenerate their limbs and even their organs. Yes, crazy. Yep. The fairy fly was from season one. The males are the smallest insect in the world, and in order to do that, their nerve cells have to do something pretty extreme. They have to eject their nucleus. I, that was like almost what I was going to say, and I just should have said it. Yeah. Now, the brown greater Galago, that was actually season three. Okay. Yep. But you're wrong in the region. It's Africa. Dang it. Yep. Totally off. Yep. <laughs> but you did get an answer right. The soft clicking noise they make gives them the other nickname, Bush Baby. A bush Baby. Yep. 
and the Marvel Crayfish. That was indeed from Season 2. And all individuals of are female and were produced exclusively by Parthenogenesis, which makes them a horrible pest. Because <laughs> you can't control them. Yep. Okay. Next animal, the Tuatara is from Season 1 and one of my personal favorites. Pretty cool. Though they superficially resemble lizards, their own unique group, and they have incredibly long incubation periods that take at least 12 months. Ooh, okay. It, but it can be a, even longer, up to 15 months. Wow. Longer than any other reptile. Crazy. Yep. The red kangaroo, the only one that was a pick. <laughs> yep. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> that was from this season, season three, and it's able to reproduce incredibly fast. You did. I think you were hinting at embryonic diapause. But that's not what this is. Um, they are able to get pregnant just within days after giving birth, and that is called postpartum estrus. No, would not have gotten that at all. Yep. That's crazy. That means you're, like, back in estrus immediately after you yep. had a baby? Crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know they can have, like, three at a time. Yep. Because, like, one in the pouch, one, you know, whatever. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> Sorry. And the next animal was the oil bird. That was from season three. That They are from Central in South America, though I think it was Central America they were part of. I don't remember. I think so, because I think it was, like, the mm -hmm. first one of the region. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. I know they were early. <laughs> and these are among the only birds that are able to use echolocation. Which is crazy. Mm -hmm. I did not remember that about them. Mm -hmm. I knew that they were, like, in caves and stuff, mm -hmm. but I didn't remember that part. Who else can use echolocation? Let's see. There's a couple other. There's, like, two swiftlets. Okay. That can use it. And I think there's one fourth one, but I can't remember what it was. Swiftlet is a fantastic yeah. name. I don't think I had the Swiftlet on any of our cups options. <laughs> all those random birds I had. Anyway, okay, continue on. Yep. Sorry. Uh, the next animal, the gharial, is from season one. Another one of my favorite reptiles pretty and my great. favorite crocodilian in the world. I feel like I agree with that. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. They are unique in that they have probably the most extreme sexual dimorphism of any crocodilian species. And that mass at the end of the male snout is called a gara. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not the most original name. Okay. <laughs> now, the next animal was the barrel eye. That did come from season two. Yes. They have a transparent shield covering their eyes. The purpose of the seal is indeed to protect their eyes, but it's from the tentacles of siphonophores. Because of how they hunt, they steal food from the Siphonophore's tentacles. I don't remember that. Okay. I think I was just so blown away by how they looked, I couldn't yeah. focus on anything <laughs> else. <laughs> anyway. And the last one was the Arvulf. They were from season two, and they do specialize in insects, especially ants and termites. I just needed to trust myself. That mm -hmm. was my first instinct, was that yep. they did eat like termites and stuff, and mm -hmm. I just didn't trust myself. Yep. Why didn't I? Meerkats eat them too, but they have mm -hmm. little hands. Yep. I can grab them. <laughs> anyway. Yep. So, good thing is you did very well with this season stuff, because there was only one you got wrong. There we go. Yep. That was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I've been looking back at our seasons a lot, but I would have gotten most of them anyway. Most of them I, I felt confident mm -hmm. on to begin with. It's just so funny how I feel like our first season animals, I'm like, yeah, we did that. Yeah, we did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did that. And then we get into second season, I'm like, no, it's too many animals. <laughs> <laughs> we have done... So many animals. Yeah. I think I saw you make a post and it said like 300. Well, I said or... we've done over 300 because I hadn't done the math yet. Oh. I have since done the math, by the way. And I guess I can, I'll tell you one of them right now. Between our picks, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you because actually that'll give away an answer to something else later. Because <laughs> you can do reverse uh... math as, um, 
I think Sam Rico called it. I forget who on Critical Role said reverse map. Anyway, but it is well over 300, I can tell you that much, between our animals that we can pick. That's why I'm counting our bonus animals and our honorable mentions. It's, it's a lot. And then I understand why it's hard to keep track of. And then as I'm looking back through them, I'm like, I don't remember doing <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, I don't remember this animal. Is it a pick all. or an animal of the week? They were picks, usually. Okay. Yeah, it was usually picks. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Or like honorable mentions, especially. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, it's mm. just tough. Animals of the week, I feel pretty good. But at the same time, if you were like, name all of our animals of the week, it would be a struggle. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't get all of them, I don't think. No. Would you? Make that a special challenge. Just name it would take forever. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for listening to our penultimate. Got to get that in there one more time. Um, episode of the podcast. Um, as always, we're your hosts, Allie. And Casey. And we will catch you on the next and final episode of the Animal Addicts Podcast. <laughs>